invite you to open your Bibles back to the book of Nehemiah this evening, the book of Nehemiah. We've been working on rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day, but by now the sounds of the hammers, the chisels, the uh, trials, whatever instrument was used, those things have ceased because the wall has actually been built. In fact, we studied last time in Nehemiah 6, and we noted these words. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. To God be the glory, a great song to sing before this, because they glorified God uh, because of the accomplishment of God's people in rebuilding the wall. But even though the wall is now rebuilt, Nehemiah's work is not yet complete. I'm not going to study chapter 7 with you because in chapter 7 the predominant uh, verses, most of the verses have long names and it's a, a, another one of those chapters with a long list of names. But I'll summarize it like this. Nehemiah 7, chapter 7, is a detailed chapter on organizational structure. And the idea is that the people are now well-ordered, well-governed, and now that the wall is complete, well-protected. But still, something is missing. And that's why I say Nehemiah's work was not complete. Nehemiah's work was, yes, to, to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, but there's a greater accomplishment yet to be accomplished because even though the walls are built they are protected and even well governed there's a spiritual vacuum and so that is what is addressed in Nehemiah chapter 8 I invite you to open your Bibles or look up Nehemiah chapter 8 this will be our text this evening so watch what happens in Nehemiah 8 the wall is built they have this great sense of accomplishment but there's something yet to be restored, there's something very important to be addressed. And this is how they do it. All the people, verse 1, gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So bring in, Ezra the scribe, bring in the book of the law of Moses. And it's to be read in their hearing. Verse 2, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. The idea is from first light or about dawn until noon, about six hours. Imagine that. Imagine beginning now at around 6 and going until midnight tonight, and you get the idea. But he read from the morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand, and all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. What makes this striking, I think we need to keep in mind, is that the book of the law of Moses, the law of God, had been neglected. That's what had led to their captivity in Babylon and then Medo-Persian and so forth. And now they've come back home. Their 
there had been a vacuum of spiritual emphasis of the reading of the book of the law of God. But now they are bringing that back. It's an excellent example of restoration. The book of the, uh, God's book, God's law had been neglected, so they're bringing it back. Verse 4. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood. Sounds a lot like a pulpit, doesn't it? Which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood several men. And I won't read through those names. But it was not just a pulpit, it was more of a platform. And so with, with Ezra, there are about 13 men, as I recall, standing with him. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the, all the people, for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Why would they stand up? I think it makes perfect sense that this would be out of respect for the law of God. Ezra opens the scroll, begins to read, the people stand up. Did they stand up the whole six hours? I think it's very possible. In fact, let's keep reading. And Ezra blessed the Lord. He praised the Lord, the great, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What we're witnessing in this text is a spiritual revival. The Word of God is being read, the law of God. The people are... They deeply respect it. Now they know for sure God means what he says. They recognize they've been neglecting the law of God. They stand up when, the, when God's word is read. They deeply respect it. And they fall down and worship God. Verse 7, this is the 13 men and the Levites. Help the men to understand the law. And the people, this my Bible says, stood in their place. Or stayed in their place. But if the idea is still standing, perhaps they did stand. Imagine that the whole six hours. In verse 8, they were very careful in the exposition of God's law. They read distinctly from the book and the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. These men that are assisting here, verse, verse 7, apparently were spread out through among the people. And as Ezra read the book of the law of God, perhaps they were in these smaller groups helping the people to understand what Ezra was reading. The, another version states it like, like this. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear or translating it and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. It's not that, the, that it was just read, but it was read with understanding so the people could know and understand the will of God so as not to, not to stray from it as they had in the past. What are the results of the reading of the law of God? Let's keep reading verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Let's begin with the end of that verse first. 
What was their response to the reading of the law of God? They wept. Why did they weep? Could it not have been because they recognized that there had been a void of, of the law of God being read and being followed? And they could think back as, as many of them had, had made that return trip from, from Persia. That's the reason they had been carried into captivity. Because they had not been reading and following the law of God. So they weep for their past sins, but now they, they recognize that it was still a void that's being, being filled again with what it should be filled. That is the word of God. But, it, but they're told not to mourn because this is a holy day. This is a day of revival. This is a holy day to the Lord your God. So don't mourn or weep. And the idea is they were to, to rejoice and to, to celebrate. How, how could they do that? In the knowledge that God had forgiven them. In the knowledge that God had kept his word and kept his promise. That for the people of Judah, they would be in captivity for 70 years and they then be brought back. And there's further evidence that, that God's word is true. That he can be trusted. That God will do what he says. And so now they have witnessed the blessing of God not just the forgiveness but the blessing of God and being able to rebuild the wall in 52 days an incredible accomplishment that even the enemies of the Jews acknowledge that their God's hand had to be in that they were even encouraged to show their joy verse 10 then he said to them go your way eat the fat drink the sweet and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's always been a neat text. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And what makes it even more profound is the circumstance in which we find those verses. The city had been leveled, gradually rebuilt. <clears throat> These people had been involved in rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. So there had been devastation, and now they're able to experience joy. And that joy would carry them through, not just celebrating that the wall was built, but celebrating the fact that the law of God is being read and people are rededicating their lives to following it. And therefore, they, they had that joy of the Lord, which was giving them strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, verse 11, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. They rejoiced because not only did they hear God's word being read, they understood it. And that caused them to have great joy. The understanding of God's law first brought pain to them. They wept, but then it led to great joy. The next section, they observe the law. They don't just read it. They don't just understand it. They, they obey it. They observe the law. And interestingly, the next day, watch what happens. 
Now on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. The leaders of the families, they want to know more. They want to grow in their understanding of the law. And so they gather the next day to do another Bible study. And watch what happens. Verse 14. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths, temporary shelters, during the feast of the seventh month, that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil, oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. This is one of the feasts prescribed by the law of Moses. The feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles. This feast was held for seven days from the 15th day of the seventh month on their, in their calendar. It was designed to remind the Jews of their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. But also to celebrate the harvest. And in observing this feast, what the law prescribed was they were to make these temporary shelters, these booths with these leafy branches. So imagine the city of Jerusalem. All of a sudden, people are building these temporary shelters and staying in them for seven days. And we may think, well, that would be different. And it certainly would be. But as they're doing it, they're being obedient to what the law had said. And there's great rejoicing because now, after a dearth of ignoring the word of God and not obeying it, now they are. They're putting it into practice. And that again brings great joy. Watch this, verse 16. Then the people went out and brought them, that is these branches, and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or the courts of the house of God and in the open square of the water gate and the open square of the gate of Ephraim. I think that would have been a sight to behold, all these shelters being put up in the city. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from, their, from the captivity made booths and sat under them. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there was very great gladness. They had not observed it, at least to this extent, since the days of Joshua. Who was Joshua? The successor of Moses, who led the people of Israel into Canaan. So for many years... They'd not been obedient to this, but now they are. And so they're observing the law and they're rejoicing because now the law of God has been restored, not just in their, in their hearing, but in their everyday practices. I think it's really neat to think about this as well. The Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles was to commemorate the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage. So they're remembering that as part of their family, their ancestry. But they could also rejoice because they had been delivered from captivity. Babylonian captivity. So it, it should have a double meaning for them to celebrate their ancestors' delivery from Egypt, but also their own from, from Babylon. 
So great rejoicing resulted from the careful observance of the ordinance regarding this feast. Verse 18, last verse of chapter 8. So day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read, Ezra read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. They've learned their lesson. They're not going to neglect the word of God anymore. They're going to keep it, observe it carefully. And that, again, brought great joy. What we're reading in Nehemiah chapter 8, again, is a spiritual revival. And that's just to underscore that Nehemiah's work was not complete when the wall was finished. I believe Nehemiah always had a greater goal, a greater goal to accomplish. Not just the restoration of the walls around Jerusalem, but a restoration of the people to their God. How, to, how can we experience a great revival? Well, let's look at how it happened here and make application. It happens when we honor God's word like they did. And how did they honor it? Well, we honor God's word by recognizing that it is God's word. And that had been proven to them in a profound way. They recognize, again, God means what he says. If he says, if you don't repent, I'm going to cause you to go into captivity. And now they know for sure that that's exactly what had happened. And so when, they, when the law is brought out again, the law of God, <coughs> they show their reverence for it by standing as it's read. Because they recognize this isn't the word of men, but it's the word of God. It's a similar re response from people in Thessalonica. Notice with me 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Paul says to these Christians, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively works in you who believe. He commends them because they didn't say, well, that's... Paul's ideas. They accepted it as being, Paul's words as being from God. We must revere God's word simply because it is his divine word. All scripture, Paul says, is given by inspiration of God. God breathed, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we can experience spiritual revival when we revere God's word and accept it as, in fact, his word. It is from God. Also, by reading it often, notice that during the observance of the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, they read from the law every day, every day. The Bible will do us no good if it remains on the, on the shelf. We must read it. I found out this from the history of these people, the Jews, that the people of Israel became known as the people of the book. They became known as the people of the book. Here's a statement I found. Quite early on, the deity worshipped by Israel was respected in nearby countries. Later, the Israelites were more widely regarded as the people of the book. 
Their sacred scriptures, laws, and customs intrigued and at times attracted the ancient world. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? They were known as people of the book because of how they regarded the law of God. I remember in our own uh, heritage, people describing members of the church of Christ as people of the book because we have known it so well. May we be known as the people of, of the book because of our respect for God's word, because of our knowledge of God's word, and our earnest desire to be obedient to God's word. They also experienced revival, and we can as well, because they sought to understand it. Not just to read it, not just to hear it read, but to understand it. Again, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear, translating it, giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Just to read it isn't enough. We need to understand it. And that takes effort. We have great tools available. We have great teachers. This is why we offer Bible classes. You know that. This is why... We encourage every one of us to read and study outside our assembly times. To seek to understand. Not just to read it, but to understand it. Number four, we can have a spiritual revival by allowing God's word to convict us and comfort us. We see that happening in Nehemiah chapter 8. It convicted them. When they heard the word of the Lord read, they wept initially, mourning their own sins, the sins of their forefathers and their own sins. But then they're told this is a holy day. This is a day of rejoicing because God has, has forgiven you and God has blessed you in, in rebuilding the city. So allow God's word to convict, yes, but also to comfort us with the knowledge of, of his forgiveness and his blessing allow and we can experience a spiritual revival also when we obey it just like they did again there's excitement in Jerusalem at this time <clears throat> there's excitement not just doing something rather unique and building these temporary shelters that would make a deep impression, I'm sure, on all of them. Think about the children that would be included in that and how they would never forget something like this. But mo mostly the joy is because they're doing what God had said. They are obeying it. I thought about the Ethiopian traveling from Jerusalem back home to Ethiopia, riding in his chariot, reading from the prophet Isaiah. The Lord sends Philip to him. Philip, Philip asks, do you understand what you're reading? How can I except someone should guide me? And Philip got up in the chariot with him. And beginning from that scripture, we, we know it in our Bibles as Isaiah 53, he taught him about Jesus. They come upon a body of water. And the Ethiopian asks, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? If you believe with all your heart, you may. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They stopped the chariot and they both went down into the water. 
And there Philip baptized him. You remember what happens next? The spirit caught Philip away. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Why is he rejoicing? Because he understands what Isaiah was talking about. He understands that Isaiah was, was making a prophecy about Jesus. And when Isaiah was saying he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And the Lord has heaped upon him our offenses. He's connected the dots to realize Jesus is the one that Isaiah was speaking about. And Jesus has done that for me. And the response to receiving that forgiveness that Jesus has made possible is by turning from sin in repentance, confessing Him, and being baptized into Christ. And so when he saw a body of water as they're traveling, here's water. What's stopping me? You may if you believe. So he, was, he obeyed the gospel and he rejoiced because he understood the will of God and he was obedient to it. Just like the people in Nehemiah's day. They understood that the law prescribed this feast of tabernacles and they were obedient to it. And because of that, they rejoiced. So Nehemiah's dream has become a reality due to God's blessing. The walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt, but Nehemiah's work was not complete. The purpose of the wall was not just to have a wall, but to contain, to protect, to identify the people of God. Beyond the wall building, there was a goal that Nehemiah never forgot. The restoration of of the people of God. Charles Swindoll wrote this. Nehemiah wisely avoided, it should be, the monument mentality. He entertained no inflated opinions of the brick and mortar project. To him, the wall afforded the people a useful and helpful environment, the means, for experiences in revival that would have eternal dimension, dimensions, that is, the end. He wisely avoided the monument mentality. He avoided the temptation, perhaps, to say, look what we've done. Because he saw that there was much more to be done. And that is restoring the people to God. He knew that what was most important was that the people of God be built up to accomplish God's will on earth and to be shaped for their eternal home in heaven. As I was studying this lesson, I thought about our church building. Uh, when I meet someone, um, tell them I'm a preacher, where do you preach? Creekwood Church of Christ. And they say, where, where is that building? I tell them, and if they live in much of 36695 zip code, their frequent response is, well, that's where we vote. That's a beautiful building. And I say, thank you. I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> it preceded me. And I'm amazed at the vision that members of the Sage Avenue Church had years ago to move out to West Mobile. And some of you remember Schillinger Road being a two-lane road 
and there not being many businesses on Schillinger Road. And look at the transformation. Two lane became five lane. Two lane became five lane and you better be careful when you exit the parking lot because of how fast people are traveling. So I hear people commend the beauty of our building and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the vision of people that cause this to be a reality. But let's not have a monument mentality. Let's remember there's still a greater work to be accomplished. And the greater work is that we continue to share the good news of Jesus around us. That we come to this building, we assemble to worship, to study, to fellowship, and to prepare ourselves. Enter to worship, leave to serve, serve our community, and share the good news with those around us. Let's use our building for teaching and serving and nurturing activities. Let's use our building to help one another to continue to grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus. But let's realize that our greatest work is done in this building and outside this building because when it comes down to it what it's really about is preparing ourselves and helping prepare others to meet the Lord in judgment that's what our mission is and I'm thankful for Nehemiah for his dream that had become a reality but that his dream didn't stop with rebuilding the walls. He stepped back, let Ezra take the lead, because Ezra, the priest and the scribe, shared the law of God, because that was the most important. Not that they build the walls, but they build the people of God to restore them to being a, a hearing and obedient people to the law of God. May that continue here. We extend the invitation of Christ tonight. And if you need the prayers of the church or if you're ready to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can do that and be just like the eunuch and leave here rejoicing, knowing that you have heard the good news about Jesus and you've been obedient to it. If you're subject to the invitation, please come right now as we stand and sing.